0: This is the Yob ConvoCast, one-on-one conversations with your other brother's authors, community members, supporters, and friends. What's up, friends? Welcome to the Yob ConvoCast Enneagram Edition as we are making our way to the finish line. Not quite yet today, but we're getting close. Um, today, I'm so excited for our guest. He's been on a little any or a little yabcast break as has my other yabcast guests, um, frequent crew members. Uh, but we're going to check in with him. We're going to see how he's doing up there in Minnesota. You've heard him many times before. He's bringing 60 back. It's our other brother, Aaron. What's up Aaron? <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you. Yeah, it's I've good been, to be back. I've been waiting seven or eight episodes now, however many it's been to, to use that phrase. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't I'll know. take it, I like it. Take what just, I, can I like. I like to plan ahead. I like to prepare for these things. Bring sixty back. You are an
1: enneagram six, aren't you, my friend? I am, yes. And so naturally, as sixes do, I've been terribly anxious preparing and thinking about this podcast. Oh, don't
0: be anxious. I know it's easier said <laughs> than done. But um, I've been excited to talk with you uh, about the six because we have a good number of sixes in our community. So this will be fun. This will be fun to flesh out. Plus, Aaron, it's just been forever since I've talked to you. We used to talk. On the podcast, at least every month for for the last couple of years. So, what have yeah. you been up
1: to? Catch the listeners up. Anything exciting in your oh, life, man? Right now? You know, seems like it's just a lot of work and random odds and ends. But it's been kind of weird not podcasting regularly because that sort of helped give me a monthly rhythm. I feel like without mm-hmm. something like that that is on a regular rhythm, I just sort of time just blends together so all of a sudden here we are the end of end of july
0: where has the time gone it feels like i've been doing enneagram podcasts my whole life but rest assured (laughs) rest assured listeners i know there have been a lot of listeners who have reached out to me personally and said they have been loving this enneagram series which i'm so grateful for thank you listeners for affirming me in this little wild wild idea i've had to talk to members of our community as we as we talk about the enneagram but rest assured the series will end much to my sadness, much to many sadness. And we will get back into those rhythms um with you and Ryan, the other with the other guys on the Yabcast. So so stay tuned. We're we're getting there. But um before we get there though, we gotta talk about the Enneagram type six. They go by the loyalist. Or actually, when I was looking around, there was also another um another moniker that I had never heard before for the six called The Skeptic, which feels <laughs> Like some of them are kind of iffy. Like, is that like flattering? Like, do, would people, would you like to be known as the skeptic? Like, the loyalist sounds way more sexy, right. for lack
1: of a better word. <laughs> like, yeah, actually, though. Well, I know, because the loyalist, sure, I'd, I'd give my life for the people that I love and care about, and I'm consistent and there. The skeptic, I'm just aloof and never trust yeah. anyone, which might be true, but is not as flattering. You know, I brought this up with Jesse because Jesse, the type one,
0: Type ones, I've always heard go by the reformer, and that's always felt like the positive, like triumphant name for all for the type type one. Um. But then they also go by the perfectionist, which I asked him, I was like, that sounds kind of like condescending or shallow or stereotypical, but he was fine with it. Like he was fine being called a perfectionist and he admitted to being one and used them interchangeably. So, so I wasn't sure if skeptic is something that appeals to you <laughs> or not. Well, I that feel feels like a little more, it feels a little more negative to me. I it, don't know. it
1: does. But the truth about the Enneagram is it shows you not just the good things about yourself. It shows you all of the faults as well. That's so right.
0: Just That's the right. way it is. Maybe I I should come up with a negative name for each of them. (laughs) That would be good. I would like that. Or big finale. Tom comes up with a negative moniker for each of the types. That'll be such a popular way to end this series. The Enneagram though, like it's a tool we've been using. It's been one of the many in our toolbox as we learn about one another, as we learn about our wirings, as we learn how to show empathy and understand where people are coming from. I think that's just ultimately what I continue to take away from this this Enneagram series. And the more I learn about the Enneagram, it just kind of opens a window, shines a new light um, on a way that someone else sees the world that may be completely foreign to me, or maybe I catch a glimpse of it or see that a little bit in my own life. Um, and so hopefully it's been illuminating to everyone else who's been listening to these episodes especially with types that you're not as familiar with um, I know in this in this series like not as being for me not being as familiar with certain types it's been so great to learn um, another way of seeing the world that completely foreign to me but just as valid as we all come from our different places and different walks of life and different life experiences so um, all of our information for all these episodes as always comes from truity.com. Um, and then also enneagramgifts.com, as we talk about stress and security in this episode. So the six is primary passion or vice is fear, which that's just such a great blanket vice, don't you think? Like fear, that could cover that could cover so much
1: yeah well it's it's common to all mankind but i think sixes are particularly in tune with it so Mm.
0: so as fear as i keep mentioning in these episodes aaron if fear comes up we're not going to talk about it explicitly but actually when i was reading the comments today there were a lot of fearful a lot of fearful comments as it as it comes up in the comments naturally so so anytime fear just Enters into the fray as we talk about conversations with sexuality, masculinity. Like, feel free to to reference that as your primary vice in this conversation. The Truity study of more than fifty four thousand respondents. Uh, it's kind of one of those standard uh, standard results. Nothing surprising there. Ten percent of the population, ten percent women, nine percent men. So very very even across the board. And then it kind of fits in with our Yab demographic too, because in our Facebook discord polling, it's about nine to 14% of our community of people who responded to their Enneagram types. So, you know, roughly 10% of our community, roughly 10% of this Truity study, maybe 10% of the world, who knows. But um, let's talk about the motivations of the six. Sixes are motivated their need for safety and security they seek support and reassurance from other people and are extremely loyal to people and groups that they trust
1: yeah that's that's very accurate for me i mean i remember growing up a lot of a lot of my motivation to do well in school was just it wasn't out of this sense of needing to achieve an A plus on everything I did, it was out of like a crippling fear of not getting an A. Mm. Like I needed to please the authority, which in that case was the teacher or my parents or whatever it may be.
0: You know, school is such a great example of, because the Enneagram is all centered around motivations. Like we're all motivated by these like roughly nine different Things, these nine different ways of operating in this world. And so for some people, like threes maybe, like they w- might want to achieve to, to be the star student. Like they want to get that recognition or they want to be seen as the valedictorian or the dean, make the dean's list or whatever it is. Versus a six's motivation for doing well in school, like you just said, would be completely different. Um, and the, the goal is still the same, like make good grades and you know succeed. But motivation-wise internally, can manifest in so many different ways so that's that's a great example i love
1: that the core motivators i think that's what's unique from the enneagram from a lot of the other personality things that i've done um rather than just describing me as a general person it kind of helps me figure out like what is the underlying thing that drives me to do the different things i do and when you know that you can do a lot with that yeah
0: and you were mentioning before we started recording, so you, you're the star student of our of our Enneagram guests because you, you did you took the dive and paid for the like the
1: legit Enneagram Institute
0: test, didn't you?
1: I think it was like fifteen or twenty dollars. It wasn't this huge commitment, but, um.
0: <laughs> but still, like tell us, tell us a little bit about that if anyone, because we had one of our listeners. I forget which episode it was. It might have been the last episode or a couple episodes ago. Um, but one of our listeners, feedback givers, um, he said that he took the paid version of the
1: Enneagram test and got all these results. So, so tell us about that experience for you. Yeah. So, I had had a few different friends point me in the direction of different free links to just try taking my test and I kept getting different results. Um, and this happened to me when I tried to take the Myers-Briggs as well uh, a mm-hmm. while ago. And at one point in my college career, we had like an expert come in and I basically told her, I'm really having trouble figuring out what I actually am. So like here, take the the paid version. It's going to be a lot better. than it was. So I figured probably the same would hold true for the Enneagram. And I don't really remember how the test worked. I think it was a bit longer. And it seemed to have maybe better questions in terms of actually getting me to feel confident about one answer over another and helping me figure it out. But like I told you too, when I got my results... I found that I was still a hard person to pin down because I scored a 21 on both the type six and the type nine. So I tied for my number one and then I had two more types that tied for number two at 19 and then I had one at 18. So um, I felt like I still had to do some research after that of reading through the different types and just kind of talking to some other friends, but it helped point me in the right direction for sure.
0: That's awesome. I'm honestly surprised because I love taking tests and I love the Enneagram. I'm surprised I haven't coughed up the $15 yet to, to pay for that. Maybe by the end of this series, that's like going to be the way I celebrate, which may sound like a weird way to celebrate for a lot of people. But <laughs> I like I love taking tests. That's, that's something I miss about school is filling in bubbles and clicking onto the next
1: page. Wow, so, yeah. that's interesting. I love taking personality tests uh, and like these sorts of things. I don't think I can resonate so much with just taking any old Uh,
0: tests. I would take an Algebra 2 test in a heartbeat right now. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> I would love to plot plot some slope on a graph. I'm using wrong terminology. It's been a while, but I, it would come back to me. I, I know how, I know, I know how to sure do it. I'm sure it would. Um, but that's so cool. That's so cool. So you. So, after you were tied for 6 and 9, you did some research and 6 definitely felt more More at home for you? Yeah,
1: yes. I think that once I started to really think about it in terms of the motivators, it was easier for me to figure out what type I was. When I just looked at the descriptors, I embodied a lot of types. Um, But part of it, like three and nine were very high for me. And sixes embody both threes yeah. and nines in stress, stress and and security or growth. So
0: I think that's the hint for people for people who take these tests and they see like their top ones or like three or four different types. Like look for patterns, and I think if you know about the enneagram, you know the fact that we'll get to stress and security here in a second. But six has a path to both of those numbers, three and nine. Like I think that shows you you're on the right track that you you have a little bit of those those different types. Um,
1: but that you're anchored down into the six, like that's yeah. Cool. And nine was higher for me by a few points, so I'd like to think that means I'm a healthy six that's doing really. I well. think so. I will yeah. affirm your health, <laughs> <laughs> even though I don't walk in your shoes. I will. I will just
0: shallowly affirm your health. I like it. Um, let's read what our feedback is all about. Thanks to our sixes who rose to the occasion and gave us feedback. Um, always a. I'm gonna give love to our yabbers at the end of the series, but they have been phenomenal. They have been like such a great supporting actor in this, uh, in this production of all these episodes. Um, so here's what some of our yabbers had to say about the sixes motivations. Um, one said this, I believe I resonate deeply with security and safety. However, like a typical Six, it took me forever to understand it. I recently had another Six friends say that they fear a loss of connection and bam, that clicked lots of things into place. You know, I don't want to get too far ahead Aaron this fear cuz it's funny cuz in all these episodes we have we have core motivations and then the, section 2 is core fears. And so it'll be interesting to analyze your core fear of fear. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. The ultimate of fears, fearing fear itself. I'm, uh, we're going to like let that linger for a second because we're going to like get it. to that section in a bit. Um, someone else said this, I strongly resonate with the core motivators, though I sometimes experience the need for safety and security as a need for certainty, especially in relationships. This can get confused very quickly in relationships with other men when I feel very anxious about the state of the relationship. For example, in a new friendship, it was very casual but very undefined. I felt incredibly anxious and thought about him and the relationship constantly. It had very little to do with any sexual attraction to him and everything about just wanting definition in the relationship. Were we just keeping it casual? Could I consider him a friend yet? What did he expect of me and what did I expect of him? How often was it okay to text? All questions that constantly plague me until I feel I have a sense of certainty. It's even more confusing when I find the guy even slightly attractive because then I'm really questioning my motives. I'm not looking for a hookup, I just want to know where I stand with the guy. When the guy is straight and I feel this, I can really beat myself up for feeling needy and clingy. I think this leads me to withdraw rather than even deal with the anxiety. I miss out on potentially great relationships because I'm afraid of needing too much from him. How does that resonate with you as a six in your relationships with other men? Because that's always the heartbeat of these conversations is, um, yeah, how does your Enneagram manifest in your sense of masculinity, how you connect with other men in your life?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that it's very true. There's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of doubting that happens inside of a six. So otherwise, healthy or fine relationships can often turn sour because of the 6 needing to constantly test the relationship or mm. get maybe just one more level of affirmation every time it's always just one more level of affirmation <laughs> that this person actually is like not going to abandon you and is good and healthy but um to the point of attraction too i think that just added an extra layer of complexity because um you know the loyalty to god made me always question like what was What was my motivation in my relationships with others? And I had some wonderful straight roommates throughout college who, I don't know, they were were jocks and they would do that sort of straight masculine affectionate thing. And um, one of the things that they would do is like they would spoon each other and try to spoon me. Uh, Me especially because i did not want them to spoon me and it was like the weirdest thing i was like are these guys really straight but they were and um i felt like that was a a hard boundary like that that had to be unsafe and unhealthy and like i constantly would question like is this just a a healthy like male affirmation masculinity sort of thing or is this something that's like of satan that i need to avoid like a plague and spooning is
0: of satan
1: that's yeah, well, funny. you know, <laughs> we won't d- discuss whether or not spooning as a as a, you know, thing is good or bad, but uh-huh. I feel like there are opportunities if I had just gotten outside of my head a little bit and not overthought it um to experience healthy, you know, safe uh masculinity, uh masculinity and like uh affirmation from other straight men. Mm. So,
0: You know, reading this comment and hearing your feedback there's because I've, you know, obviously organizing this feedback, I have a sneak peek into it before I read it on the episode, but there's a lot about anxiety and attachment, and it brings to mind a podcast we did years ago, Um, we had Taylor Zimmerman as a guest on our show, and we talked about attachment styles. Um, and I could link that episode in this description because I feel like it would be appealing probably to sixes listening because um, he goes into detail and, you know, he's very well learned, learned with two syllables. Um, and he he talks about these different attachment styles, one of them being anxious attachment um, and how how we connect, particularly in our community, connecting with other men. Um, and so I just feel like that would be a really appropriate follow up conversation if anyone's never listened to that episode or or obviously it's been years and you just want to give it another gander. Um, I think that could be a very really interesting um, interesting conversation to go along with this one as we talk a lot about, um, yeah, just how we relate with other men. Because I know this is a thing for sixes. It's obviously a thing for a lot of people in our community who we have lots of sensitivities and lots of woundings and lots of hard relationships with men in our lives. Not all of us, but some of us. A good number of us do, um, and so I think this is a really apt conversation for for maybe more than any of the other type conversations we've ever had. I think this conversation could be a really applicable one for almost everybody listening, so I'm excited to, to
1: keep going. Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Um, here's some more feedback on motivations of the six. While I do resonate with the six's core motivations, I also believe that I can hold my independence alongside my need for the security of others. This has not come easy and has only come about due to not always having a strong friendship group for support. This need for the security from others hindered my realization of my sexuality and that I didn't know of a way to communicate to my closest friends that I was conflicted in the area of my sexuality. Without that security, I had no way to process such feelings. My relationship with other men has also relied heavily, maybe too heavily, Upon the affirmation of other men, it is extremely difficult to get affirmation from other men for homoerotic feelings, and even more difficult to get affirmation of a side B theology. And you had mentioned Aaron in your last comment about this this need for like one more one more affirmation, one more <laughs> yeah. level of of affirmation. Which which again, as a four, I resonate with too. Like, there's always this sense of wait, are, do they still love me, or do they still support me, or do they still want to be my friend? Like, just That constant need for reassurance, like that's you know, I think it's common to lots of types and lots of people, but but maybe the six feels that a tinge more strongly than than other types.
1: Yeah, and I think especially when you're maybe not the healthiest six. Like over time, as I've grown, I've felt less of a need for that, or just as I've become more aware, I think it's been easier to deal with that. But but it's hard. I mean, to some extent, like your core motivator of wanting security and kind of a lot of the way you try to get that backfiring in your face makes it sort of a vicious cycle to try to get out of Mm. overtime
0: yeah um and then let's read this last one from motivators i've never been a huge risk taker and part of me has always taken comfort in routine sometimes to the detriment of my own personal growth Whenever there's a big life change on the horizon, even if it's a really good and exciting thing, like a new school, job, et cetera, I have to mentally prepare myself to take that scary step into the unknown. Cue Elsa belting into the unknown in frozen too. <laughs> I'm also I also tend to be a planner, one could even say an over planner, and I'm reassured when things go according to said plan. While I've definitely gotten away better at embracing spontaneity and stepping out of my comfort zone over the years and trusting God through it all, there's still an innate peace to be found in routine and familiarity. I also definitely agree with the idea of loyalty playing into relationships. There's so much good about this, but there can also be drawbacks. One or two times in my life, I've stayed in a toxic friendship much longer than I should have, out of a sense of loyalty and even obligation. Though ultimately cutting these people out of my life was a healthy choice, there was still a small part of me that at the time felt guilty about doing so, which I just had to get past. In terms of my sexuality, I think a lot of this plays back into the desire for safety and security. At the moment, I'm only out to my immediate family, a few close friends, a small group on Zoom, and y'all here on Yab which has been a gradual process over several years. Though it's gotten way easier to talk about my sexuality with each successive person and group, every time there's definitely still a fear of the unknown. How will they react? Will they still accept me? And the thought of shaking up the status quo. Part of me does hope to eventually be out in a more or less public sense, but don't feel ready to take that step quite yet. Maybe someday. Yeah, I mean, coming out, we've had that conversation a couple times throughout this series. how have you approached that in your life, Aaron? Like, have you had that fear of the unknown? If I was more confident about my singing abilities, I would sing it. Although maybe it's better <laughs> that I don't because I don't know how legally, how how much of the song I can sing before, before Disney it becomes comes from my neck. That's yeah. the end of Yav, yeah, <laughs>
1: Disney lawsuit.
0: But it's a great song, it's a great movie. Y'all check out this flick called Frozen 2. I'm sure you'll love it. Um, but Aaron, yeah, how do you how do you relate with, when you come out to people um in particular just to to hone in. It was a great comment. There's a lot he talked about a lot there, but that was something I wanted to hone in on before we move on to fears.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean I resonate a lot with that. Um, for me, and I talk a little bit about this in my first blog post, I think it took a long time for God to drag me kicking and screaming out of the closet. So, you know, initially I I just sort of expected uh, this kind of ties into fears and motivators. Like I wanted security and safety in my church and in my communities. And so part of how I got that was I just isolated my sexuality and tried to not even like acknowledge it internally myself, common to many people. Um And so my expectation at least through high school, was that I was going to take my sexuality to my grave. And that would be the easiest way to avoid the uncertainty and the unknowns. Um, And my freshman year of college and kind of throughout college, God really impressed upon me the need to come out and the importance of it. And that was like, that was very difficult for me. Like I was very anxious because... I didn't know what people were going to do. I didn't know how my school would respond, how my friends would respond, how my church would respond. And um, so the way I did it is I picked people that I didn't really care very much how they responded and weren't as important to me and started there. And uh, that was kind of how I, I went through it. But it was it was a several-year journey. I mean, it started with a single person my freshman year after an entire year of God Impressing upon me strongly, I needed to come out to somebody. Um, and then, you know, by the time I graduated, I had more or less come out to most of my family and friends. So I've never done like the the blast Facebook post coming out thing, but but uh have come out at least to the people that I felt like needed to hear from me. And it was slow, and it was very, very nerve wracking and crippling <laughs> along the way.
0: I bet, yeah. And again, that's, that's another one that so many different motivations, like I would love to see all the lenses that people approach the topic of coming out with, because, um, but like, so like for me, again, I don't want to spend too much time on myself. I've told myself throughout this series, this isn't about you, Tom, this is about you (laughs) guys, but for the four, like if there was this desire to be authentic, like I feel like I needed to, in order to be authentic, particularly as a writer. Um, and for, for the six, like, I think, you know, we're all relational creatures, obviously, but, um, but I, th- I would like to think, and, you know, I think you can echo this, is that by sharing that aspect of yourself, this part of your identity, that um, I think it only strengthens the bond when someone on the other side reciprocates and still receives you and doesn't reject you. And I think um, I think that loyalty probably strengthens through, some, through the confession and revealing of something like
1: that, right? Absolutely. And, I mean, one of the big reasons I did feel a need to come out was – you know, because I felt like it was an important part of my faith, but also because I just felt like it was an important part of me. And kind of over time, like, I felt this sense that I was just wearing this mask. And it was this layer of protection for myself against rejection, but it also was this barrier from love and the affirmation as a six that I really wanted. So even though it was very anxious and scary, like, I didn't feel like I could ever get to the level of affirmation that I was looking for from somebody without them knowing about this part of my life. So I do think that was a big, that was a big motivator maybe to draw me to do it and to fight through the fear um, was to just feel like, okay, this person actually knows everything about me now and they're still not leaving. Um, and for sixes who can't get there, I think that's really, that's tough to never feel like you have that part of you affirmed or accepted.
0: Yeah. Well, let's make the turn into the sixes' deepest fear, and here's how that description goes. Sixes fear being unprepared and unable to defend themselves from danger. To cope with this fear, they attempt to be prepared for every possible turn of events. Which sounds very dramatic, like danger, turn of events. It makes it feel like you're Indiana Jones, like going on a quest or something. You have to prepare for all the booby traps and all of the, the perils that come. But <laughs> right. I, I get the sense that, again, as super relational people, I get the sense that a lot of this, especially in our community, is rooted in a lot of relational relational dangers, relational turns of events. And so, so I'm excited to explore that um, with you, Aaron, and then reading it in the comments. Um, Let's read a couple of those and get your thoughts on those. Um, Someone said this, I think I'm more concerned about relational danger, that is relational separation, than physical danger or some danger in my environment. Conflict, misunderstanding, not feeling attuned to the other is pretty frightening at times, especially when I can't fix it. So I will rehearse conversations in my head, mentally review how I'll say things and how I'll respond to potential threats to the relationship. I often work really hard to solve relational problems that don't exist yet. Overall, this pattern internally experienced felt very different from what I was seeing other men act out. So it caused me to feel like I was very different from other guys. I just cared so freaking much about my friends and the state of the relationship and other guys seemed fairly unfazed by relational dynamics. I think most guys in the US are socialized to think if you have to talk about the relationship, you're trying too hard. But talking about the relationship is the only way that I know we're okay. That danger has receded and I'm safe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That definitely resonates. Um, I do think, you know, I look at my close friendships over time and I can see very clearly now, um, times when I was doing the same thing, maybe trying to fix relational issues that weren't there yet. Um, or especially one of the themes that, I've seen often is the testing, like testing the relationship, testing the person. Um, And it wasn't, it wasn't that I was like actively creating a negative situation to try to see how they'd respond. I mean, I, I suppose some people probably do that, but that seems pretty unhealthy. Um, But like looking for any cues and probably over reading into certain situations where nothing was meant by it because the average person doesn't think so deeply and closely, like under the microscope about some of the relational stuff. Um, But you can kind of see over time, I think the friends that have stayed through certain situations or who have um, maybe taken steps in life with you to just be present or to do things with you that feel deep and meaningful. And like those are each little tests that as they tick those boxes, you kind of go, okay, they're a good one. Or on the opposite side, you know, if there's little rejections here or there, that's going to get overanalyzed and be points against the person. Um, And as a loyalist, it is, you know, it's almost like this very conscious thought of choosing our people, um, which I don't know is always true for other types where... Yeah, there's obviously that just natural connection that usually starts the process. But um, a lot of times you're kind of choosing, hey, this is the person now that has checked off all of these boxes and now have, have earned my trust. And now there's a lot of leeway for, you know, false steps by them or different things.
0: Yeah, you know, I feel... In the in reading this feedback hearing your perspective like I feel like we're all experts in some way shape or form at manipulation like I i always <laughs> i always chide the twos but I need to like because like sixes do it fours do it I mean we mm-hmm. all We all have ways that, and again, maybe we're motivated by slightly different things, but like we all have ways of testing other people, manipulating them, you know, because we're trying to get something out of them. And maybe other types are more selfish. I know four is extremely selfish people. I'll just say, (laughs) I'll just say I'm a very selfish person. Um, And we're all trying to, yeah, we're all trying to to get something out of this. And so it's really interesting to hear. to draw like parallels, make connections, because that's what I love about the Enneagram, is like I'm hearing stuff that you're talking about and reading this feedback, and I'm like, huh, that sounds really familiar from the two conversation, or or even when I look at my own life and then the four conversation that we just had, like um there's lots of connections and a lot of similarities in all these types, which um which just shows we're more similar than we give ourselves credit, I think. There's a lot of differences, mm. certainly, but um so many crossovers, so many parallels. Um, someone else said this, I've always overly organized and tried to prepare for the worst. I even would get apprehensive as a child if I was told of a surprise that should have been a positive experience. When I began experiencing SSA or gay feelings as a teenager, I totally shut it down because this was the best way I could keep these feelings I certainly wasn't prepared for at bay. It was only after I learned of a side B theology that I gained a sense of community where I could be affirmed in my commitment to what I truly believe to be right. Aaron, um, how do you like surprises? Do you want a surprise party? <laughs>
1: um, Not a huge fan of surprises. Of not necessarily. I don't hate them as much as the average six probably. Okay. But, well, as long as it's... It's a surprise from someone that I trust. <laughs> okay, so they have to have checked those boxes. You're you on, you're on the trust They gotta check circle. the loyalty box yeah. already, because then I know that the surprise is not probably going to put me way outside uh-huh. my comfort zone or be super terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I would agree. Over preparing um, that resonates certainly. I have a tendency to think about all the worst possible outcomes and try to deal with them before they even materialize. Because what if I get there and one of them happens and I'm not equipped in the moment now to mm-hmm. deal with it because I didn't take the time to actually prepare. Um, and that made me very good at presentations in school because I... I have somewhat of an ability to just pick up something and learn it quickly. Now, my problem is I don't retain it. So, I can become a master for a day and then the next day if I don't need it anymore, it's gone. So, (laughs) I wish I had more lasting power on that. But um, the nice thing was I could sit down and take a topic the night before a presentation and I wasn't done preparing until I had answered every phobic, scary, internalized question that I could think of somebody possibly asking. Mm. Um, and so a lot of times that made the actual questions that got asked very easy because they weren't anything near as complicated as the ones I was tossing out at myself. Um, so I, I resonate with that. I think that yes, it can be in a relationship setting, but, uh, it also for me is in all sorts of different areas of my life, um, comes to play outside of my sexuality, regularly as well
0: you'd be somebody that would be good then on when i had those class presentations with with groups like there's always that one person in the group presentation who did nothing for the for the group but then someone like you who could like be the super prepared one for the whole team my crippling fear
1: (laughs) made me drive drove me to super power to be prepared whether my team was or not yeah exactly Uh,
0: how do you feel about like he was talking in that comment about like um keeping keeping gay feelings at bay because he wasn't prepared for them and then and then the sense of community um in a side b realm like does that because you were talking a little bit about coming out to other people earlier in the conversation, but what about coming out to yourself? like what was that process
1: like? yeah, um didn't happen until I was probably a junior or senior in high school whenever that would have been um sixteen seventeen yeah, that was a that was a long, slow process because it was difficult to imagine having to, I mean, I felt like this good Christian kid. And so to acknowledge or think about the fact that I could possibly be gay was really scary. Um, cause it felt like maybe something that would kick me out of my community or this authority, the church authority or or the authority of God was going to be upsetting to that authority. Um, and would certainly harm my safety. One of the things that, uh, I did to help prepare myself to come out to others or even to myself to some extent was a lot of reading resources. So it was a lot of books. It was a lot of podcasts. I was that kid who would engage like on YouTube in the comments section with all these random gay debates and things. (laughs) Like that was like my external way of internally processing my own sexuality. Um, and so that, yeah, I think that there was this this need to really feel like I came to some conclusions before I could ever take it forward and like explore that with other people.
0: Um, you said like, you, you said it so nonchalantly, like it, I wasn't a, until I was a junior or senior in high school. Meanwhile, I wasn't, I didn't process my sexuality until I was a sophomore in college and there are other people sure. listening who didn't process theirs, you know, further and further out. So so I'll give you I'll give you a lot of credit, Aaron, for coming starting to process sexuality while you were still even in high school because that's definitely not not my story and not a lot of people listening. So but maybe it's like getting younger and younger now. I imagine that the Gen Zers or um like they're probably processing their sexuality now at like 10 years old or eight years old or something probably
1: at least starting to think about it before they even develop feelings for either sex it's getting younger and younger
0: um here's the last comment on fear it's a nice little story time so so sit sit in and just soak it in aaron um he said the sixes often get told their deepest fear is fear i get that fear of being unprepared for one of the one billion things that may happen Usually most of my mental energy is spent on the worst thing happening. Hashtag threat forecasting. But I think a better term is angst. It's this unease in our bodies and minds making us think really stupid things and then doing really stupid things, a lot of which are really funny to most people making them endeared to us. Fearing the unknown of others' responses, being slow to process and intake information and then respond instead of react, or being shamed into a corner for realizing how much I really was, and balancing all of that when I want to love, forgive, but not give up on my own boundaries is a typical step into a six's brain. The angst of thinking things through over and over again, just to make sure you didn't do anything wrong, and then following up when you did or thought you did, instead of trusting the relationship and yourself to act properly in situations. It's exhausting. Here's an example. One of my biggest fears of being gay is losing connection. Being in the evangelical tradition, being gay and hooking up or marrying a man is something that will get you, quote unquote, out of the group. I've seen it happen, And I've done it to others, but yeah, it's just really interesting. The, the concept of overthinking, not trusting the relationship. Um, and then you throw in being gay into it and being a believer and, and the sense of security and safety in a church and a community, like that's gotta be something that can be very threatening if it feels like this thing that's inside of you that you can't turn off or control, um, could be a threat to that sense of security.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I lived a lot of years in doubt about my own salvation and my own faith because of my sexuality, um, which isn't uncommon for other types. But I think that for sixes, especially like there's this constant second guessing of yourself anyway. So if now you have something like your sexuality that doesn't align with what the traditional evangelical church says is even permissible as an orientation, um, Man, you're sitting there going, well, all those church camps, all that time reading scripture, all that, like all those experiences connecting with God. I guess I was missing something because clearly if I had done it right, like this wouldn't be dealing like something I'd be dealing with. It is interesting to me because to your point about being in kind of the, the thinkers and stuff, um, I have next to me the road back to you. Ah, uh, Classic, classic literature. My favorite. And it's actually Joseph's. It's not mine, but he had it. And I thought, well, to help prepare, I'll read the chapter on sixes. Mm. And one of the things they talk a lot about in this particular chapter is like how logical sixes are. And I think that's something that can get uh, dismissed because of the somewhat illogical level of anxiety that sixes have. Um, But so much of how we think through things or deal with things is sort of methodical logical and well grounded. I was very aware of how illogical some of my own anxieties were. But like it's something that you can't necessarily just turn off because of that. Um and I think that the the way you get through that is by processing through it logically rather than just like trying to turn off the emotions. And that's that's how I dealt with it in my faith eventually was it was a lot of research, reading, study And eventually finding out that maybe there's this middle ground somewhere where I could have a a gay orientation or just experience some level of sexual attraction towards men and still be a Christian. Um, And yeah, I I guess I hope one thing as people are processing more younger and it's become more of a conversation that people don't take as long to realize that that's at least a possible outcome for for christian people who deal with ssa
0: yeah do you identify do you know if you identify as a five or a seven wing have you gotten that
1: i'm a a wing seven okay yeah yeah a strong wing seven so for me um people did not realize the level of anxiety that i had all through my life when i started to kind of like come out about my anxiety too I mean, I didn't realize how bad it was. And the first thing people would always say is, wow, you're, you're very high functioning, man. You don't seem anxious. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea how much I've thought about even this conversation mm. right here. And honestly, the only thing that helped my anxiety was medication. Uh, no amount of like thinking through it or trying to logic my way out of it. You know, behavioral stuff can help, but, um, yeah it just it it helped me that way with with anxiety depression too but especially my anxiety that's when i realized how anxious i'd always been is when i no longer was feeling like the constant anxiety all the time
0: very nice yeah thank you for sharing that about about medication and just being being open about that part of your life and and processing anxiety because that can be a tough conversation i imagine for especially within the christian world
1: like Medication, Like sure. that's, that's a whole other conversation. I oh like. yeah. I know to get into that. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, my mentality has always been, if I can share about my sexuality, then the rest is just mm. whatever, just extra topping on there. So yeah. The sexuality piece. I mean, you've,
0: you've gone over the mountain top at that point. You can <laughs> hopefully share, right. hopefully it makes yeah. sharing other things a lot, a lot easier um sixes in stress so let's make the turn there sixes in stress go to three otherwise known as the achiever if you guys remember that conversation with adam um, during periods of stress and hardship sixes will take on the qualities of threes they will show off an image of themselves to the world of having it all together while becoming workaholics sixes are afraid of not being successful and will not attempt new things unless they are optimistic that they will succeed at the activity, um, which is such an interesting, interest. All of these are t- interesting turns. Like I find the paths of stress and security so fascinating to me to see how the different types morph and merge with other types and take on their qualities, positive or otherwise. Um, let's read a comment and then I'll get your thoughts, Aaron, on how how you put on this false facade. Although a facade I guess is false by definition. When I was younger, I think I became more like the performer that threes can be, especially with straight guys since that's all I knew. I definitely became the funny guy as a way of winning others over. I knew I couldn't join in any conversation about the sports ball game, but I could say something sarcastic to get them laughing. And if they're laughing with me, they aren't laughing at me. I think I also took on the vice of threes of deception, but for me it was self-deception. I lived in near total denial about my sexuality, which is probably to some extent how I ended up married to a woman. Lots of self-deception about how that was going to work out. Gratefully and truly by God's grace, it has. But like a good, fearful six, I couldn't ask her out until I knew she was into me. I had to know it would be successful. I also have always found women to be much safer than men. I always knew where I stood with girls in school, but the boys were the real mystery. What was mysterious was scary. So girls always felt more familiar and safe. Probably another reason that I never questioned if I would or should get married. It never felt like a stretch to me, even though I'm exclusively sexually attracted to men." Yeah, that was such an interesting comment about deception, relating with other men, being the funny guy, and then ultimately getting married to a woman, being safe with a woman. Because you've, um, there are lots of guys in our community who have never dated women, but you've dated before right, Aaron. I have. I'm curious if that yeah. you're not you're not married. Obviously, that didn't happen. But um, I'm not married.
1: Nope. <laughs> anything about that comment feel familiar to you? Yeah, absolutely. I do. Well, okay. So I think I asked her out my freshman or sophomore year of high school, and we dated maybe for two, two, two and a half years. And I resonate first off with needing to know that the feeling was mutual before mm. taking that that step of asking somebody out. Um, That was definitely important to me. Had to know the outcome before I even stepped into it. And then um, I would say two women generally do and have felt safer to me. Um, and for me, I always just kind of chalk that up to I'm not worried about showing off for them or being... Being anything special, like if a woman doesn't find me attractive or isn't interested in me uh, in that way, or, you know, even if it's an extreme and for whatever reason, they just don't like me, um, that doesn't really bother me. So, and I, I think that's probably true for straight people with their own sex. Like, it's just there's less pressure there to perform or to um, care as much about what people think. Um, so yeah, I mean, women were safe, but over time I started to process in just kind of in the time of that relationship. And I don't know that it was connected to being in a relationship or if it was just kind of the developmental stage I was in, but I kind of was realizing that, um, I liked deep friendship with women, but there wasn't like more than that um in terms of sexual or emotional attraction um so i i never i guess my thought was that i would eventually become straight and that's how i'd end up married um you know i kind of took the mentality of i'll just kind of i'll become a good enough christian and this will just gradually fade and then it's great i'll either get back together with the the girlfriend that i had in high school or i'll, I'll find somebody else and i'll get married but um in the meantime, while I was dealing with my same-sex attraction, once I was more aware of that, I was never interested in pursuing a relationship with a woman.
0: Gotcha. It's so fascinating. I always love hearing people's dating stories, or if they're married, you know, marriage stories. Because I've never dabbled, I've never dated, I've never married, obviously. And so, um, I always love just hearing. Yeah, how did that go? How did that? Tell me, tell me, tell me more. Because I'm I'm so intrigued by by those types of stories. It's a ride. It's a a ride, (laughs) it's a ride. Um, One other comment about stress. In stress, yes, I certainly can see where I pick up traits of a three or an achiever. I'm an admitted workaholic, but it's never been that I crave money, but rather that I fear going back to poverty, where I came from. That fear is just one of many that drive a lot of my day-to-day actions. In my sexuality, this expresses itself in the way that I seek to control others, in a way to build up my own sense of emotional security. In my sexuality i have postponed coming out or not come out at all due to fear of not being able to control the reaction of whoever i came out to oddly enough even if i'm sure that the response to a coming out will not be completely positive as long as i still feel i have control over the situation for me it's not that i want to succeed in every situation but rather control the situation as much as i possibly can yeah i love that distinction of What is you know quote unquote success but then also just having having control over whether it's control over your income or control over the state of your relationships like that that makes a lot of sense to me
1: yeah and for me that that resonates um if i look back to my time in college when i was really processing my sexuality um you know probably the most I was also the busiest, like I was involved in the most activities, I worked a lot, I was taking a lot of difficult classes, was part of student government and just choir and you name it, I was (laughs) trying to be involved in it. And I I, kind of realized after the fact that that was a way for me to um, turn off my sexuality and not deal with it. Or perhaps just feeling stressed and feeling unable to make progress in my sexuality at that point. I wasn't ready to come out to a large group of people. Um, I wonder if that just drove me to then have to try to like get that nervous energy out elsewhere. Um, feel like I was making a lot of progress somewhere else to just sort of help curb some of that stress. And um, certainly, that's what I do in my work when I'm really stressed. I just work harder and work later hours and we'll work all weekend long. Um, And as a, a clear example of this too, like when Joseph and I, when my roommate and I bought this house together, one of the ways that I look back and realize that I was dealing with stress is like, I wanted to be out there furniture shopping, dealing with all sorts of things like getting the gutters lined up, having to put gutters on and... And just basic things like buying kitchenware and thinking of all these different things like I was just so stressed about the process that my reaction was to just get on it and just get stuff done in kind of a crazy like white knuckle driving down the freeway 90 miles an hour kind of way. Um, And... Yeah, Joseph was more like, well, we've got like six months before we close on the house. Why don't we just wait? <laughs> and I was like, no, I need to deal with this now.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's such a great tangible example of, yeah, the need for control and the need to to have everything, mm-hmm. to feel like you have to do something to to have that sense of control. That makes, yeah, so much sense. Um, I love that. I love the move to three. I don't know. There's something endearing to me after having that three conversation, which I was very open with Adam on that conversation. I think I know the least about threes of all the types and so I feel like mm-hmm. I have this new insight. And by extension then six sixes and nines it kind of gives me cuz both sixes and nines have paths to three. It kind of gives me added layers of understanding to um to yeah, like why why do you all care so much about this front about this <laughs> facade, this achiever Uh, complex, but I'm starting to piece it together. I'm starting to understand. Sixes go to nine in security. The nine is the peacemaker. Sixes are more accepting during development. During periods of growth and security, sixes become more like nines releasing anxiety and trusting themselves more than authority figures in their lives. Sixes can become more easygoing and lighthearted people during times of growth. They're also able to view life differently from multiple different angles i get the sense that when you're in a healthy place when you're in a time of security that um i don't know sixes it seems like just based on that definition and the feedback i'm about to read it just feels like y'all get to exhale like you just get to to mellow out <laughs> so let's read about how sixes turned into nines someone said this when i feel secure in a relationship i'm a pretty fantastic friend I love the humility. Love the humility here. No, that's great. I'm all for self-affirmation. He continues, if the other guy is able to share good feelings about a relationship, it's like I'm high. Nothing can take away that joy. I feel carefree, happy, more like myself. And because I feel loyalty so strongly, I'll go to the ends of the earth for someone. I have learned that I have to reserve that level of loyalty for those friends who can reciprocate it. Otherwise, I find myself sort of chasing others who have not demonstrated that they appreciate my efforts. But if it's reciprocated, I'll love deeply, care really well, and give the most thoughtful gifts. I won't question and interrogate my every move and action with a friend. I'll just know that my gut is right and I don't need to hold back. I can love him completely. Gratefully, I've been able to experience this mutuality with both straight and SSA guys. Aaron, will you go to the ends
1: of the earth for people <laughs> I love that I phrase. think there, yes, I think there are the select few that mm. are the the chosen people that I'm loyal to, and they're not always the same for life. I mean, it depends, but um I'd probably do just about anything and perhaps would even give up my life for my own safety for those people mm.
0: you know, no greater love so so the same That's right. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, sixes, again, when they're in a place of security and when they can rest in the relationship, like I think it's such a beautiful, such a beautiful thing um, because they're so full of love and commitment. And we need that in a world that is very frivolous and especially in the 21st century, what I've noticed, and I'm culprit number one, people moving around all the time don't stay in a place geographically as long as they used to. like in the form of relationships, like somebody who's committed and somebody who will be there for you, geographically or otherwise. Like I mean, that's just such a such a beautiful thing and something we need more of in this world. It's definitely yeah. a, inspires inspires someone who's as like, um, what's the word? I'm trying to think of like a word. I'm not flaky. That's not the word I would use to describe myself, but I don't know. I have this desire to keep moving and changing. And, and so I appreciate steady, steady presences more, like yourself,
1: you know? Yeah. More transient. Transient. You. There we go. Yeah. 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 I think, um, sometimes I've heard sixes be kind of negative and feel like this lot in life of being celibate or Whatever is extra hard as a six. Because mm-hmm. you do you want that person to be loyal to you who's gonna be loyal to you. And in our culture, there's no greater commitment or affirmation as like a public decoration of marriage. Um, although the divorce rates question that maybe. But um I do think that actually sixes are maybe one of the more well equipped types for dealing with SSA and sexuality um from a relational standpoint because we have this innate innate drive to make deep connections with people like we're always looking for our people um and i think the hardest part of being celibate or or just being a sexual minority is needing deep community and needing support around you and so having this drive that causes you to look for that um I think is really good. And to be the person that is the, the object of loyalty from a six can be very intense, uh, at times, but it can also, I think, kind of to your point, it can be helpful because a lot of times when a six is healthy, it's usually very relaxed. It's not going to be that intense, like testing or anything like that. Um, they're kind of just to your point, a steady presence that is, there but not necessarily needy or clingy right in their healthy state
0: yeah and as far as like the community aspect of a side b life you know we're still fairly early in this like side b experiment you know over the last decade or two of organized communities forming be it yob or revoice or or other organizations out there like and i think for this for the longevity to happen because it remains to be seen like is this is this going to last are people going to stick around i think I think 6s especially um you said you said something of the nature of being well equipped for 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 this life. I think for for 6s who are healthy and who are committed, I think um like they could play a vital role in the longevity of I'll just I'll just focus on job for instance because there's a good number of you guys in in uh in your other brothers and um and I've noticed them to be like true to their name, like among the most loyal people that we've had in our community and like that's so pivotal because in a transient world of people leaving the community or abandoning their faith or changing their belief structures, like um, the steady presence of people with their convictions and with their and and their commitment to a community is such a such a vital thing. So so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for all the all the sixes in our community just to to focus on Yab. But I think in the bigger picture of things in in the side B movement or in the the church at large, like I think sixes are. Um, going to play a vital role in just keeping, keeping this, this movement, keeping this community going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, someone said this, going back to Yob. When I found Yob in a hopeless place, I was at a place in my life where I really began to ask the question my therapist had been asking me. Are you ready to meet the man who is attracted to men and still deeply loved by God? I had been keeping myself so psychologically safe with words like same-sex attracted or struggling with my sexual identity so I could other it, and therefore I wasn't it, and I could stay in good graces with my people. Scared of myself, other gay people, and losing my people, I was fertile ground for God to work, and he did. In my time in Yab, I have found men who not only know my experience, but who aren't the big bad monster I thought quote-unquote gay people were. Constantly afraid of becoming close to other side beers and then thinking the worst would happen, falling for them at best, marrying them at worst. I realized the natural relationship process every exclusive romantic relationship goes through wasn't going to happen. Men who gave words to my experiences I've had my entire life, I thought I was alone in. God did go to work and changed my life in a big way, allowing me to let more trust in and some fear go. And that is so touching to me, obviously, as someone helping run this community, like that Yab could play even a like small percentage role in that process of letting, I love how he closed that, letting more trust in, letting some fear go. Um, like that was just such a, such a beautiful sentiment. I'm so grateful for that, for that Yabber and for that comment.
1: Yeah. And I think, um you know, there's always two sides of any six relationship, right? So the sixes have been loyal to Yab, but I think that's because Yab has proven a place that they feel is trustworthy and is able to reciprocate that loyalty mm-hmm. to them. And we'll meet people where they're at. I mean, it's an imperfect community. Um, but I think that it's really, it's something unique because we can exist here and kind of, fight the good fight together, run the race together. When we feel like in so many other places, there's nobody there to support us. We're constantly fighting against the rest of our Christian community. But, um, for me as a loyalist, I think one of the things that has resonated and struck me is that in my relationship with God, I have, I have tested him plenty. And I have had a lot of experience with him being faithful and being good through difficult seasons. And I think that's a big part of what has helped me become a healthy six is simply just time because it does take time to prove a relationship. And as I've seen God prove himself to me, that has developed like that level of loyalty where, you know, sixes are loyal and they're logical. Again, I think that sort of helps with coming to a side B conclusion. Um, You know we're loyal to our our faith and to uh church community and things when they earn that loyalty and we also try to think through things from a fairly logical perspective so like my question is always what does god ask of me and i mean if i felt that he was okay with me being in a same-sex relationship then i would be okay with that because i trust god but um just as important as if i feel the research and thought and study that he is calling me not to be in a same-sex relationship, then, again, I trust God. And that foundation of love and loyalty will equip me, I think, as a six to better soldier on, so to speak, and just trust in that because I feel like I found somebody trustworthy.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Um yeah, and someone, someone responded this, and I thought it'd be a great way to close it too, going back to scripture. Um, he said this, as a six, one of my all-time favorite life verses is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This verse has been a rock at various points in my life. And that's so great. Like I love, I feel sad now that we haven't incorporated scripture into, cause I feel like there'd be a, a great like corresponding scripture. Like, okay, what's the vice of the four or the vice of the two. Mm. And then what's like the scripture that speaks to the heart of that fear or the heart of that, um, stress and just like have something like that's such a great way to, to close out. Um, most of our conversation. I guess we're here. just
1: gonna have to revisit the Enneagram. Sequel and do like a, what what does God say <laughs> to each of the types or oh, something like that.
0: Believe me, I don't wanna do spoiler alerts, but I have all sorts of ideas for Enneagram sequels. Not anytime soon, <laughs> so nobody needs to be thinking like we're about to go on another ten week journey, but right, but right. I have I have thoughts and we'll just leave that. We'll let that linger in the air for a while. Um well before we go, Aaron, I wanna read this about if you love a six and let me know. Let me know if this sounds c- good to you or if you can think of any other ways that we can love you and your kind well (laughs) so if you love a six remember that they are often worried that they can't trust themselves because something in their past made them feel as though they were not safe now they are projecting onto you or hoping you will meet all their needs but you must resist this and let them get their own self-care Whether through journaling, to work through their thoughts independently, meditation, exercise, or other tactics, self-care can help sixes get unstuck and allow them to grow stronger in body and mind. If they worry too much aloud with you, set worry sessions with them to a limited time versus letting it run your schedule and encourage them to take some time on their own to verbally process, uncomfortable as that may feel at first. Also, if they have a faith life, it will be helpful for the six to do a Bible memory Wow, this is so fitting. About fear and courage. The goal isn't for them to avoid healthy risk, but to plan for healthy security and the completion of their wonderful and caring, courageous goals, both as individuals and as couples with their beloved partners.
1: Yeah. I mean, I resonate with that. I think that's really good. Um, I think for myself as a six, and as I read The Road Back to You, that chapter on sixes, one of the things um, they talk about in the book and I would say is very accurate, is when a six is caught in a cycle of anxiety, and that's almost always where they're caught. It's just a question of what is the anxiety about. Um, they talk about in this book the importance of remembering sixes by and large are logical. So rather than trying to dismiss the anxiety, because again, as a six, I usually knew that the thing I was worried about was probably irrational. Um, it was to kind of think about, okay, If you're caught in this position of anxiety, um, what would you do? If this happened, what would you do in that situation? And okay, good. Now, if this next thing happened, like what would you do in that situation? Who would be there for you? Who would support you? And kind of allowing them to either take it down a path that it gets so irrational that it's comical or to just through that kind of realize like to have the support system and the people around them that will be loving. Um, I think is really helpful. So like for me, direct communication has always been good. Um, I respond well to somebody coming up to me and saying like, yeah, but if that happened, who would be there? Well, I would be there and this other person in your life would be there. And um, rather than dismissing the fear, trying to just affirm that there is already a plan in place to help deal with that, I think is really helpful.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so good. Like I said, at the top of the conversation, a lot of people with anxious attachment with other men in particular, just to hone in on one aspect of our conversation. And I think um, just setting good boundaries and directness with other people, like easier said than done, takes work, takes practice. But um, but I think that's such a, such a hallmark of loving a six well. And thank you for just... Mm-hmm. Being real, Aaron, and coming back, I've missed talking with you recorded or otherwise. And so You as well.
1: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, it was so good to to hear from you. And I think honestly, like I'm so inspired to to take this this Enneagram assessment because I just want I just wanna say I did it. You know, you might you may have pushed me over the
1: edge. (laughs) Do it and then report back to the people. Was it worth whatever it cost? I mean, with inflation, maybe it's like sixty dollars now.
0: Yeah, I'm afraid I have to double double check how much it is. We we referenced a lot of links today, books and blogs and podcast episodes. So so if you're interested in like going deeper, like check the notes. I always say, Um, check our show notes or check our blog. And links to all of those things will be there if you want to further read or further listen to all the things that we referenced on this episode today. And please share your sixty thoughts. If you identify as a six or know a six and you just have a perspective to lend, go to yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast and find our ConvoCast on the type six with Aaron and um, tell us the story. It's been fun to get some comments trickling in over this series and to hear from people um, responding to the episode. I always love always love that. Um, you guys, next week it's gonna be a sad week, but it's also gonna be a very fun week because the Enneagram Seven, which is arguably the the funnest type on the Enneagram, that's that's where we'll be closing out our series, our little our little adventure this summer. It's, it's been so fun. I'm gonna be very sad, but um, but I don't know. It was it was like ordained this way that we would end on a fun episode. So I'm excited to to close out this series with the Enneagram 7 next time. So stay tuned for that. Aaron, brother, I hope you have a lovely day. Thank you for taking time to chat with me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, as always, for having
0: me as part of this. We'll be on a Yobcast again soon, I hope. Start, start getting your voice ready. This is a good, hopefully, rehearsal for that's right. Um, kind of getting back dust in the zone. The old
1: vocal cords. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take. I know how it is coming back from a break. I've been there myself. Where it's like it's been two months since I recorded, and I'm like, wait, how does this work again? So uh-huh, hopefully this right. starts to get you back in the zone because it's always fun. Always fun to have you on the podcast. Um, but until that time, until we finish this series out next week, until we cast our next Anya convo. See y'all next time.
1: Bye.